Hey, this morning we're beginning a new series called Tuned In, The Gospel According to Paul. Uh, Apostle Paul uh, wrote a large portion of the New Testament. At least 13 of the 27 New Testament books are written by him. Uh, one book that he did not write, however, is the book of Acts. Uh, Acts, the book of Acts records uh, the spread of the early church. And the second half, even though Paul didn't write the book of Acts, uh, the second half of that book pretty much focuses on Paul's ministry. And it often records how Paul, uh, it records him preaching the gospel. And in this series, we want to look at how Paul presents the gospel in the book of Acts, because no matter how many times you may have read that book, there's a good chance you've missed something significant about Paul's gospel presentations. Um, for many of us, the gospel message is very straightforward. If we were to um, narrow the gospel down to gospel in a nutshell, if you will, it would go something like this. Um, one is that God loves us and we are created to have a relationship with God. Uh, and then secondly, we are sin, we sin, and that separates us from God. And then Jesus' death paid the penalty for our sin, and if we believe in Jesus, our relationship is restored, and we go to heaven when we die. Does this sound familiar? Okay, I, if this is new to you, then we've done a really bad job here at TFRC. Okay, this is, uh, this is pretty 101 kind of stuff, and this is all 100% absolutely correct. Um, to make Jesus, I would even, for those of you who maybe have never done that, to make Jesus your personal Savior and Lord, and your relationship with God is restored. And then in the afterlife, we have the assurance of heaven. This is what we expect. This gospel in a nutshell, we expect elements of this. We expect to hear that when the gospel is preached. What is curious about this gospel in a nutshell, the way that I've just summarized it, the way many of us understand it, is that when Paul preaches in the book of Acts, he never presents the gospel this way. Not once. Now, in his writings, we may be more likely to see some of what we call, what I just called, the gospel in a nutshell, but never in his preaching. And so, if Paul never preached the gospel this way, why not? For us, it's fundamental. It's 101. For Paul, it wasn't. Why not? Look, the gospel doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. But the gospel does speak to us, each of us, differently. Parts of the gospel will tug at your heartstrings more than others. And Paul understood this. And so he adapts the gospel message depending on who is listening. He doesn't change the gospel. That stayed the same for him. But part of the power of the gospel, of the good news, is its ability to speak to everyone. The gospel resonates with all of us, but it resonates with all of us differently. We all have different reasons why we placed our faith in Jesus for those of us who have. But that's not because the gospel is different. It's because we are different. Paul was tuned in to his listeners. Paul shaped the gospel so his listeners could hear it. And he was trusting the Spirit was guiding him 
all along the way. A verse we want to keep in front of us for this entire series is one that Paul himself wrote when he said, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul adapts the gospel message depending on who is listening. The gospel resonates with all of us differently. That is true for people who don't believe yet, and it's also true for those of us who do already believe. Parts of the gospel will become more meaningful than others at different times in our lives. The gospel has something particular to say to you in your present context, in your present situation. The gospel is tuned into us. It has something particular to say to you right now. And so in this series, we're going to listen to the ways that, God, that Paul preaches the gospel and hear what he highlights for his listeners and discover how that still resonates with us today. Now, the first time Paul preaches in the book of Acts is found in Acts chapter 13. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts 13. Before we read the passage for the morning, I just want to point out some details that are relevant to what Paul is about to say. We need to know the audience Paul is preaching to. In Acts chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, it says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. Now, Pisidian Antioch is in modern-day Turkey. Okay? Um, Pisidian Antioch, modern-day Turkey, is basically uh, right there. Now, Israel and Jerusalem is down there. All right? Um, Israel was the land of the Jews, and just like today, though, many Jews did not live in Israel. They were scattered. And so in Pisidian Antioch, there's a synagogue. And then as now, if you go to, into a synagogue on the Sabbath, you are going to be entering a Jewish religious service. And so Paul is preaching in a synagogue to Jews, although this is not taking place in Israel, the promised land. And so we just want to listen a little bit to Paul's message in that synagogue right now. Our scripture reader for this morning is uh, Eva Hale. Eva, if you can make your way on up to the podium. If you are able, I'm going to ask that you please stand and face the center of the room. And we stand because we believe this is the word of God. And so, Eva, whenever you are ready, please read from Acts chapter 13, verses 26 to 39. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. 
Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Eva, thank you very much. You may be seated. Now, if you just keep your Bibles open to that passage and you look through verses 26 to 33, I just want to point out um, some things that where Paul is clearly gearing his message for the Jews who are having their religious service on the Sabbath in the synagogue. Um, in verse 26, he calls them children of Abraham. Um, he also refers to God-fearing Gentiles. God-fearing Gentiles are Gentiles who are demonstrating interest in the Jewish faith. In verse 27, he references the people of Jerusalem. Again, that's an Israel reference. Um, and then he says that Jesus fulfills the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. In verse 31, he talks about Galilee and Jerusalem. These are places in Israel. In verse 32, he talks about something that God promised to our ancestors. That's a reference to Old Testament stuff. And then in verse 33, he says, that reference has been fulfilled for us. And then in verses 33 to 36, he talks about King David. He quotes a couple of Psalms. Okay, Paul is in a synagogue on a Sabbath, a Jewish worship service, and he makes numerous references to the Old Testament. Paul is shaping the gospel to speak to them. He's tuning it in. And so he speaks about things they know. And if you go back and look at verses 32 to 33, he says, we tell you the good news. What God promised to our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us. What he promised to our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us. Now, when we hear that, we think, well, yes, what that promise and fulfillment is, is that your eternal destiny has changed. And while that is true, that was not what Paul was talking about. Jesus fulfilled something that the Jews were waiting for. Something that was promised to their ancestors in the Old Testament, and that promise that the Jews were waiting for had nothing to do with the afterlife. This is really important for us to understand what Paul is doing here. That we don't just read in what we think it means, we actually look at what it actually means. And while Jesus' death opens the door of heaven for us, I'm not denying that, it's not what Paul's referring to. And so what is he referring to, and why would that be good news? See, Paul's in a synagogue on the Sabbath, Jewish worship service. It's where the law and prophets were always read. Paul connects the gospel to that message. And so what is the message of the law and the prophets? Well, I don't have time to unpack the whole thing, but if I were to do another nutshell piece... Um, the message of the law and the prophets that would be read every Sabbath includes things like, hey, look, God wants to bless the world through you. That would be the message to Israel. The Jews were God's chosen people. They weren't God's chosen people because of something they had done. They were God's chosen people because God had a purpose for them. They were God's people. In the very first book of, of the Bible, 
Genesis. God says to Abraham, the Jew's primary ancestor, in uh, chapter 12, verse 3, says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Blessing the world was their God-given purpose. Blessing the world was their God-given identity. In addition to blessing the world, also part of the message of the law and the prophets was you, Israel, are to be a light to the nations. In the Garden of Eden, humanity was alienated from God. And after that, in the book of Genesis, there's the first murder, and then the flood, and the Tower of Babel. Things kept getting worse. So God calls Abraham and says his descendants will be God's people to be a blessing and to be a light for the rest of us. To show us what God is truly like and how we can be reconciled with God. As the prophet Isaiah says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Gentiles, anything, anyone who's not Jewish, that's most of us. To be a light was their God-given purpose. To be a light was their God-given identity. And then the prophets talk about how you blew it. You blew it, guys. The Israelites were supposed to bless the world and be a light to show the world who God is, how to be reconciled to God. And what greater purpose is there than that? But rather than showing who God is to the nations, they became just like the nations. As the prophet Jeremiah said, and though the Lord has sent all of his servants, the prophets to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord, and have, you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Again, in other words, the prophets were saying, you blew it. And because you blew it, the prophets then say, you're going to be banished. The Israelites lost their role to be a blessing to the nations. They lost their identity. A New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright explains it like this. It's like if the world was a sinking ship that needed rescuing, and the nation of Israel was the rescue boat coming to save the world, except the rescue boat sinks. Because they rejected the perp their purpose and identity, they were banished from the land God gave them. As the prophet Jeremiah says, I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. The Israelites, they lost their purpose, they lost their identity. Because of that, they lost their land. The land was the physical piece of their spiritual identity. Their purpose was taken away from them, so their land was taken from them, and they were thrown into exile, and they were banished from all of that. 
And then there's one more piece the prophets have for their message. But, the prophet said, forgiveness of sins is coming. What sins are we talking about here? It's not just random sins. For them, sin wasn't just breaking the Ten Commandments, although it included that. It was sins of rebellion. Sins of rejecting their call. Sins of not being who they were created and called to be. For them, sin was forsaking their identity and becoming just like everybody else. And they did. They behaved in awful ways. But that was the result of their core sin. Rejecting God's purpose for them. Rejecting their identity in God. And yet God says, those sins... I will forgive their sins. Jeremiah the prophet says, I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will rebuild them as they were before. I will cleanse them from all the sin they have committed against me and will forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. Now, forgiveness of sins did have eternal implications for them, but that would not have been their first thought or primary focus. For them, forgiveness of sins means we will be restored. Restored to what? We'll be restored to our purpose, restored to identity. And when will we know that happens? When we are no longer banished. When we return to the land we've been exiled to. That's the message they heard every Sabbath. And so let's revisit to whom Paul is preaching and where these people are. Uh, if we go back to the map, from Pathos, Paul and his companions, they sailed, eventually landing in Antioch. Israel is here. Are the people in their land? No, they're not. The people that Paul is preaching to are still banished. They are still waiting for their sign of forgiveness of sins to come. Waiting to be restored, not just to their land, but to their purpose and to their identity. And Paul is tuned into all of this. And so is the gospel. The tuned-in gospel to what Paul is saying is Jesus gives us our purpose back. Paul says, you are forgiven. And what is the sign that they are forgiven? It's not restoration to the land, because that hasn't happened. Paul says there's a new sign of the forgiveness of sins. And that new sign is the resurrection of the Messiah. If you look back in your Bibles to the passage that we read this morning, in verse 30, he says, God raised him from the dead. In verse 33, he says, he has fulfilled for us by raising up Jesus. In verse 34, God raised him from the dead, never to see decay. In verse 38, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins has been proclaimed to you. And Paul says King David died and his body decayed, but Jesus' body never decayed. And so while the Jews in Pisidian Antioch are waiting for their banishment to end, Paul says, it's ended. And the sign is the resurrection, which is what we declare to you. Oh, and this isn't just for you Jews, for you God-fearing Gentiles in the room. This applies to you too. Because as verse 39 says, 
Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Our eternal destinies will always be our major focus of the gospel. What happens to us in the afterlife will always be our most important question. But it is not the only thing that matters. Jesus gives us our purpose back. When you lose your identity and purpose, what do you have left? When you lose your identity and you lose your purpose, in essence, you have lost everything. Identity and purpose. We literally spend our entire lives focused on these things. Think about it. What questions do we ask little kindergartners, five-year-olds? What do we ask them? What do you want to be when you grow up? What is that a question about? Identity and purpose. Graduation Sunday was last week. How many times do you think high school graduates were asked the same question? What are you going to do next? Are you going to work? Are you going to go into the military? Are you going to go on to school? Are you going to live in your parents' basement? What are you going to do next? It's a question of identity and purpose. Our entire adult lives, we identify ourselves by our work. Or if we are married and have kids, we are identified ourselves by our family. I'm a pastor. I'm a husband. I'm a father. Identity and purpose. Empty nesters. When your children leave, what question must you answer? What are we going to do now that the children are gone? What's that a question about? It's a question of saying, um, what is your identity and purpose now that you don't have kids in the house anymore? When you retire, the question is, what are you going to do in retirement? In other words, now that you don't have to work, what's your identity and purpose going to be? Identity and purpose, it's a question we ask our entire lives. And our sins cost us our primary purpose, and our sins cost us our primary identity. We were not created to simply fulfill whatever desires we have. We have been created for a reason. We have been called to a purpose greater than ourselves, a purpose that goes beyond simply doing whatever we want. God has gifted us, and we all have natural gifts and abilities. God has shaped us. We all have life experiences, both good and bad, that influence how we do life. And God takes our gifts and abilities and experiences and molds us to do things that he has in mind for us to do to either glorify God or to show the world what God is really like or to be a blessing and light to whoever we come into contact with. As Ephesians 2 says, where Paul wrote, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have been saved not because of what we do. We have been saved for a purpose. And Paul refers to this in verse 39 when he says, You are not justified by the law of Moses. Meaning, you can't earn your purpose back. You can't make up for your sins. It would sort of be like responding to the statement, hey, you know something? God has a purpose for you. And you immediately thinking, 
yeah, I don't think so. I got to clean up my life first. You know, I've done this and this and this. That's not how it works. God says, you've been forgiven. I've got a purpose for you right now. But I do this and this and this. I'm not holding that against you. I've got a purpose for you, and I will transform you as we go. You don't get your life together, and then you start fulfilling your purpose. I'm going to transform you as you go. Now, I've got a purpose for you today. Let's go. As Paul says elsewhere about this transforming work, that I will transform you as you go, outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. You don't get completely renewed and then get going on your purpose. You get going on your purpose and God will work on you in progress. This is good news. Jesus has given us our purpose back. We were created to do good and our sins do not disqualify us from that. God has a purpose for you right now. And it's not being whatever you want to be, it's being what you were meant to be. And whatever that is, it is good. What is God's intention for you this week? Whatever your job circumstances, whether you're blue collar, white collar, or you're retired so you don't have a collar, whatever your family role is, whether you're a parent, a child, a sibling, an aunt, an uncle, grandparent, whatever you do for fun, golf, fish, hunt, knit, garden, whatever, remember these words. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jesus has given us our purpose back. Our sins have been forgiven. God will transform us as we go. This week, look for the good work that God has prepared in advance for you to do. Please pray with me. And Lord, we do thank you for your love and mercy and grace. But Lord, we thank you that you have given us our identity and purpose back, that there is something that you have in mind for us to do for your glory or the blessing of others today, tomorrow, this week. And I would ask that your spirit would soften our hearts and open our eyes and ears so that we can see and hear what it is you want to do through us and in us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.